Josie DeVidio is a woman on a mission to explore the human experience. With a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears, real talk, real people, this is Josieology. Hey friends, welcome to Josieology. I'm your host, Josie DeVidio, and today I am chatting with Monica Rivera, who is a TEDx speaker. NPR fellow and the host of You Want to Do What? <laughs> a weekly podcast aimed at inspiring, guiding, and nudging you to chase after what you want. Hey, Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. So I first heard about you from your TEDx video because I wasn't there. Wh- where did you do it, by the way? In, in New York somewhere? Yes, in Brooklyn, New York. So your video came across my desk and it was about loneliness. And I found it very interesting. And that's when I reached out to you to have you on the show, because I think it's a topic that a lot of people experience, but don't really talk about. So that's what we're going to be chatting about today. But before I get into that, I mentioned in your intro that you're an NPR fellow. What is that? Well, about a year into podcasting, I wanted to deepen just the practice and I'd never done anything like podcasting before. So I say that I'm a marketer by day, a podcaster by passion. And after spending almost 20 years in corporate America, wanting to pivot into something that was brand new, I wanted to really be able to sink my teeth into it. So NPR has a fellowship called Early Career Program. And I thought, well, I'm not really early career anything because I've been doing this marketing (laughs) thing for so many years, but I'm going to give it a shot. And it's basically a week-long fellowship where I flew to Seattle. I worked at a Seattle radio station, actually putting together my own digital media project. So it's everything from the audio component, the video component. You're actually in the field doing work. And I had a chance to learn alongside people from the New York Times and Associated Press and people that had been in the business for 20 years, 30 years, and really just hone my skills as someone who was in podcasting. So it was a really rewarding experience. And I remember I got there for the first day and everyone's saying, I'm from these prestigious publications and we're going around the room introducing ourselves. And I think, did they make a mistake? Because I stand up and I'm like, hi, I'm Monica. I podcast out of my closet. And this is (laughs) what I do. And I think maybe they picked the wrong person, but it was really a fantastic program. And I was actually the first podcaster selected into the program at the time. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So then how did you end up becoming a TEDx speaker? Was it related to that or is that something totally different? So when I got into this podcasting thing, I was really at this place in my career and maybe you can identify or your listeners can identify where I felt, is this all there is? Is this just the day in, day out, rinse and repeat? And I found that all the paths I was trying to go towards in my career They were close to me and that was really foreign. And I kept thinking like, I keep knocking on these doors and none of these doors are opening, but I know it's not really what I want to do. And so I had gone onto the market and I started interviewing at other companies. And I remember I listened to this woman, I'm sitting in our office and right across from where we were was a view of Manhattan and the skyline. And she was going on so passionately about speaker phones. And she was just, I haven't taken a vacation in two years and I love these speaker phones and we market them. And I thought it isn't my job. It's like, this is not what I'm supposed to do anymore. And I really knew in that moment that that's what it was about for me. So when I pivoted into podcasting, I decided I'm going to shoot all my shots. So I'm a big sports fan. So I talk in a lot of sports analogies. (laughs) I'm going to go for all of the things that scare me, all of the things that I don't think I'm qualified for, the things that I do. And I'm just really going to see what paths open for me. And so that's really what it was when first the NPR fellowship came along. And then after I got that, I knew I'd always watched TED Talk. 
I wanted to try to get one of my own. And so it was just another big goal that I put for myself on the board and I started working towards it and said, you know, if it's a rejection, then there's another TEDx talk someplace else and I'll try that. And if that's the path for me, then eventually I'll land it. And it was the second one that I applied to. So it was supposed to happen. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, it's awesome. I have been watching a lot of TED Talks while I work out. Like that's my current like thing that I binge on right now because mm-hmm. I'm all caught up on Netflix. So I had to find something yep. else, but <laughs> I'm loving them and it is inspiring. And, you know, everyone has a story, which is why I love podcasting because I've met so many interesting people. And, you know, I'm going to say this word, I've met a lot of ordinary people. And I say that in the best possible way, because I feel like people think they have to be super special to be doing what we're doing or to be doing anything like this. And really what I'm loving about podcasting is I get to meet a lot of people. You know, when I first, my first season, I interviewed a lot of people that I already knew who had like cool stories. But now as I move on, I'm interviewing people I've never met who are now like my BFFs online because Mm -hmm. we have this in common and we have this experience together. But I love everyone's stories, you know, and everyone's on this planet, whatever they're going through makes them who they are now. And so everyone has some kind of wisdom that they can share with us. And that's why I love having guests on the show. You know, there's a lot of podcasters who don't traditionally have guests. You know, they have a niche topic. And so they, the host is the one who talks the whole time. Mm -hmm. And those are great too, because I learn a lot from those podcasts. But for me, I don't really have that. What I have is a curiosity to want to get to know about other people's stories. So I think TED Talks are an awesome way to learn about people plus their area of expertise. So those are super cool. Remind me your original, before you pivoted into podcasting, you were in marketing? Yes, I was in marketing, marketing analytics, which ended up becoming very helpful in podcasting because I think a lot of the gold is in your specific numbers for your podcast. But I had done uh, marketing analytics for business to business companies, business to consumer and all types of banking, telecommunications, IT. So I was very in in the weeds of marketing. And I did enjoy it a lot. I think what I found was I did not enjoy climbing the corporate ladder anymore and sort of playing the politics game and, and, and really feeling like a lot of the times my career wasn't in my control. So if a reorganization happens within a company, you're a headcount. And that happened to me. So I was you know, on this one track and then a reorg happened. And because I was a headcount, I moved over to another group that I thought, well, I didn't sign up for this group, but because you're the headcount, that's where you are. And that feeling of not being in control of where I wanted to go professionally started to feel really uncomfortable for me. So where is it that you want to go? So I love what I'm doing now in terms of kind of controlling my own schedule, being able to freelance and work with people, whether it's through podcasting or productivity routes, because that's one thing that I've learned to be really good at throughout my career of maintaining these multi-passions and still being successful in my career. And that's all because of productivity and time management and how I can really function with those things. And lastly, it's really about you want to do what has always sort of been my life's motto of that voice that has this idea that pops in. And then you almost talk yourself down from it saying, you want to do what? Are you nuts? You don't have time. You're too old. You're too this. You're too that. Those are all things that I constantly told myself. But then I would say, I'm going to do it anyway. And it was the same thing with the podcast. I started the podcast. I didn't even tell anyone. None of my friends knew I started it. No one knew I had it until the probably the third episode where I casually mentioned, oh, I have a podcast because I didn't want anyone to try to talk me out of the idea. Right. And that's a big thing for me. I really just kind of set the idea in my head. I start the ball rolling and then I tell people later, oh, by the way, this is what I'm doing now. 
Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my story too. You know, I'm my listeners who know me personally know that I'm a dentist, my new listeners. Hey, welcome. I'm a dentist, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, I'm taking a little break from my career my health is requiring that. And so one day I woke up and I said to my husband, I think I'm going to do a podcast. And he was like, okay, you know, (laughs) whatever, that sounds weird. But similar to what you're relaying, I just went for it. Like I didn't know how to do one. I had been a guest on a few in my field. And so I just knew that it was fun and interesting. But yes, it was one of those, if I thought about it too long, I would have easily talked my way out of it. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, I made the decision. I'm just going to get to work because if there's one thing, I'm I'm a doer. So I just get to work and do stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I think about it too long, then that might not happen. So kudos to you for just going for it and like ignoring that voice. Um, That's why I think I love the name of your podcast. You want to do what? (laughs) I have to be honest, though. I initially bought the mic in October of 2013. I didn't start the show until June of 2017. So there's a good and bad about being in marketing analytics and doing any type of analysis for a living is that you don't separate it. So I analyze my life and my choices (laughs) with the same degree that I do my work. So it did take me a long time because there was that thought of who wants to hear what you have to say? Like you're a marketer. That's not what you're going to be talking about. But I thought there's a whole bunch of people that are like me that have worked a career for a long time don't hate it, but also feel like, what's next? Is this all that there is? And that's the audience that I wanted to talk to, people that were feeling in that same position as I was. I don't really know what I want to do next, but I know there has to be more than this, even if it just means that I'm not switching careers, but maybe I'm just adding some more fun into my life, or I'm adding some more vacation, or some more things related to self-care, or me time, or creativity, or getting back to who I was when I was younger. Even if it's just interjecting some of those things and replacing some of the Netflix and chill elements with something a little bit more exciting. That's what I wanted to do. And that's who I wanted to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even if it's just exploring things that you always kind of wondered what that was going to be like and say you do it and you realize you don't like it. At least you can say you tried it and did it. So absolutely. Think of how many times you see a restaurant, a restaurant will open up. Oh, we should really try this restaurant. And then we drive past it or we walk past it. And then the restaurant closes and we think, oh, we never went to that restaurant. Just go to the restaurant, take yourself there for lunch, like see how it is. And if you love it, you have a new spot. And if you don't, you never go back there. But it's even those little things that we take the same route home from work. We have the same commute. We have the same structure to our day. And there's all really great positives of having that comfort in your life, of having that routine. But how fun does it feel when something unexpected happens? And it's a story that we tell our friends or our spouse or whomever. And it's those moments that become sticky, those fun experiences that we have. And if we add more of that, what I found for me is that it made my job much more bearable because I have these other things to really look forward to. So you set yourself a goal to be a TEDx speaker. And um, when you did that, did you have that moment of you want to do what? Of course, for sure. (laughs) Because it wasn't just the TEDx stage, but it was also I knew what I wanted to talk about. And I hadn't shared my story uh, with many people up until that point. But I knew it was time. It was sort of the second chapter in my life. And I felt like I'd done a lot of the work and the soul searching and therapy and all of those things that needed to happen around the topic of loneliness, that I was really ready to communicate that with other people and have that no longer be my identity, but really just something that was part of my story. So when you decide that you want to do this to be on the TEDx stage, what's 
like walk me through the process. Do you like submit an application online? What does that look like? You do. So every event is individually organized. So they have their own specifics as to what they require. Most of them will require either one or two minute audition tape where you're giving sort of a high level synopsis of what your talk would be about and what the audience would receive as part of the message. What would their takeaways be? And part of that is kind of understanding who you are, what kind of dynamics do you bring as a speaker, um, and just kind of really understanding your package in this one to two minute clip. Other ones will have other additional questions. So the event that I was selected to speak, they asked me things very specific to New York, things that I like to do in New York, what community meant for me in terms of New York City, because it's always changing with things like gentrification and sort of the influx of new people that come in to live in New York. And how do I still keep the sense of community? So the application will vary, but typically you will have your audition piece and then just very simple things related to your talk. And then you submit, does it take a while for them to review and get back to you? Or, or, you know, do they come to your house with a big leg camera and go, you've been selected? I wish they would have. That would have been pretty cool. Very Ed McMahon publishes Clearinghouse, which would have been fun. I actually remember as a kid thinking they never come to people that live in apartment buildings. They only come to people. So I know we have no shot of this ever happening for us. Um, But aside from that, I received an email. So usually you'll just receive an email. Some committees will ask you to go to a second round and they'll drill it down from there. Might do a one-on-one interview for my event. They just sent an email, I would say about two weeks after I submitted saying, hey, we're going to review this. And about four weeks later, I had received confirmation that I was selected. Awesome. Yeah. I was actually editing a podcast at the time when the email popped across the screen. (laughs) That's great. Were you nervous when you did your talk? I was. There were a lot of things that day that I could not control. And so I'm a very type A personality. And so prior to the event, and again, everyone's event will be different, but we didn't have the opportunity to rehearse our talk with the mic. We didn't have the opportunity to see what the stage would be with the lighting. So there were a lot of unknown factors that day that I was going to be experiencing for the first time. And that was a little nerve wracking. I was also closing out the morning session. So there was a certain amount of pressure for that. And hopefully, you know, people are hungry, but then also you want to hopefully entertain them and leave them with something they can remember. And then the last thing, which is kind of strange, I think some people will think is that I had a bunch of people there to support me, but I'm so much more comfortable talking to strangers than I am to people that I know. So there was a part of me that thought, I'll just go do this on my own and I won't invite anyone. And then I had this whole tribe of people saying, absolutely not. Of course, I'm going to be there, like it or not. So I made sure they sat in the front row so I would be able to look right. out instead of Over down them, and, yeah. Not, yeah, and not <laughs> actually feel those nerves. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm going to have a link to your TED Talk on the Josiology website, which is josiology.com. There will be a blog post for this episode and the link to the YouTube video for your TED Talk will be on there. I'm also going to be posting it in the Josiology Podcast private Facebook group. So listeners, if you want to check it out there, you should join us on the Facebook group. You'll need a password to get in. So we'll make the password today loneliness because that was the topic of Monica's talk. Monica, when we come back, I want to get into the story behind your topic for your TED Talk. Hey, friends, if you're enjoying this episode, it would be great if you would share it with a friend you think might enjoy it too. If you're not sure how to do that, don't worry. Just check out our Facebook page at Josiology Podcast, or you could check us out on Instagram at Josiology Podcast. And from there, you'll find the episode and you'll be able to tag your friends to the episode link. Of course, you can always reach out by email, which is Josie at Josiology.com. 
Thank you so much. So Monica, tell me what led you to choose loneliness as the topic for your TED Talk. Sure. So we should probably say the talk is titled The Flip Side of Loneliness because it's really about my journey moving through loneliness. So it began when I was 16. I watched my mom pass away in front of me in the hospital. And over the next seven years, all of my family members passed away. So I'm an only child. So it was my grandparents, my dad, aunts, uncles, all those people had passed away. And it was something that no one can anticipate. And I was a 16-year-old living in the Bronx, really trying to figure out how I'm going to do this life thing on my own. And it was everything from going to college and really trying to move through the world. If you know anything about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I stayed basically at that bottom part of the pyramid, which is survival for a really long time. Because when there's no fallback and there's no going home to mom and dad when you're in college or giving yourself the grace to make mistakes when you're choosing a career, because you know it all hinges on you. All the bills are coming in your name. You have to keep the lights on. You have to keep a roof over your head. I was in survival mode for a really long time. And that survival mode kept me very lonely. I had to grow up very quickly, as you can imagine. And I made choices that were all predicated on earning money, staying safe. And in the course of that, it doesn't allow for as much fun as you would think. Although I made sure I got it in there, I realize now So many of my choices were based out of fear, Sure, fear that I would lose whatever it is that I had left, fear that I would lose the friends that I had, because if I didn't have friends, then I didn't have anyone. So I found myself overcompensating a lot and also really making choices that were also unhealthy for myself in terms of relationships, like staying in relationships I shouldn't have been in simply because think about when you're hungry. If you're really hungry, you'll eat anything. Right. And when you're really starved for love and companionship and just company, you will settle for a lot of crap. And that's what I did for a really long time. And so I wanted to talk about my journey from that place to a much healthier place, which is the flip side of loneliness and really digging into what the root of the problem was, because it wasn't just that my family had passed away. It was, what did that mean for me? How did I view the world? How did I view myself? What did I think of in terms of a future? And then how could I make that change in myself so that I could start healing? Because the choices that I was making, whether it was eating too much chocolate or again, being in toxic relationships or spending money on things that I didn't need like clothes, but I wasn't going anywhere. So I had all these clothes, but I wasn't going out. So all of those things, I needed to figure out the root of that and then actually find a way to get past it. So I actually say within the talk that my formula to get to the flip side of loneliness is battle tested. And that's because it is. It was 20 years in the making of figuring out how to overcome this loneliness. Well, sure. And I think you say something poignant. You know, you were operating out of fear, right? And Mm -hmm. your worldview is different when you're operating from that point. You make decisions and enter into relationships that are not good for you because you, you're you clouded. You can't make a clear decision because you're living out of fear. And I mean, justifiably so. I mean, like you said, you had lost your family so you and you were young, mm-hmm. right? So you didn't have a ton of life experience at that point to really um, help you know that you were going to be okay, you were going to be safe, that you were you had some control over what was going to happen to you. Absolutely. I I, I liken it to if you think of yourself with your back against the wall, if your back's against the wall, you can only see what's in front of you. But if you take four steps out, now you have a 360 view of everything around you. 
I really felt like my back was against the wall for 20 years and all I could see what was what was in front of me. And it wasn't until I had gotten into my 30s where I said, wait a minute, why are you still running? Stop for a second, look around, see where you are. And that's where I thought, oh my gosh, like I'm okay now. I'm okay. I'm not in that same place. I'm not operating from those same places of fear or survival mode. Like I'm okay. Like I have a home and I have a stable job and I have a good community and group of friends. I don't have to continue operating in the same way anymore. And that was, it seems so obvious, but when you're so used to doing something for such a long time, just that moment to pause and actually say, wow, I've, I've done this. I'm okay now. Let's start working and moving up that pyramid. I finally was able to do that. You know, one thing that strikes me is that I feel like predominantly women, and I might be misspeaking, but I guess most of my friends are women. So <laughs> I see this in them, right? But predominantly women tend to be really lonely. And, you know, if you're a stay at home mom, you think it's because you're a stay at home mom and that you don't work. And then if you're a professional woman or in the workforce, you think you're lonely because you don't have time to have, you know, friendships and Mm -hmm. stuff outside. So the feeling of loneliness is really universal, whether you are, you know, I guess no matter what life situation you find yourself in, have you found that to be true? Absolutely. And I do address that in the talk that For me, loneliness, the catalyst for loneliness was grief, but it could be deployment, losing a job, illness, divorce, relocating to a new city. Loneliness touches so many different aspects. And once the talk was released, I remember receiving a text message from a friend I went to elementary school with. She's a mom of four kids. Her life is Instagram perfect. And she said, I'm so lonely. And I would have never thought that because again, you're looking at this highly curated Instagram feed. And I see the four kids and I actually don't have kids. So there's this idea like, well, your life is so full and rich and you can't possibly be lonely because I'm looking at it from from my lens, which is very different from where she is right now in terms of relationship. And I thought, wow, that's so courageous that she shared that with me because it must have been hard to say that and to admit that. And so that was something that I found to be really interesting. And also I heard from entrepreneurs that said, I'm really lonely. Like I love my company and what I'm building, but there's days where it's so darn lonely and there's no one that I can talk to about this. And I'm just holed up in an office, really feeling like I wish there was a lifeline for me. So I think that this topic of loneliness is something that we feel all the time and we just don't have the comfort or the space to really allow ourselves to either sit in it too long because it means confronting a lot of things or there's also that trepidation to say, well, if I tell someone I'm lonely, will they actually hear me or will they give me a platitude? And I don't want a platitude. I can go on Pinterest for a platitude, but how can you really fill me and hear what it is that I'm saying? And it's hard to admit those things if you don't know if the person you're talking to will really hear you. Well, and that's the thing is loneliness doesn't look like loneliness. Right. Right. So when you look at people, like you said, people are very busy. They distract themselves because they don't want to sit in the loneliness. So when people tell you that they're lonely people, you're surprised because it doesn't look like they're lonely. Right. right? But yes, it's because you don't want to have to sit in the loneliness and figure out where is that coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to think it's not okay to be lonely because I think that that's a feeling. It's an unpleasant feeling at times. But it is a human natural feeling that we have. So it's not that it's not okay to be lonely, but lonely is a symptom of something else. Mm -hmm. I think of loneliness as an opportunity. 
It's an opportunity to figure out what you're not receiving or what you're lacking in your life at the time. I would say one of the best things is actually being an only child. So people would say, oh, it would have been so much easier had you had a sibling. I don't know if it would have been easier, it would have been two of us that were grieving the loss of our family. So that's another pressure of kind of thinking about your sibling and the pain that they're in as well. But because I'm an only child, I've always been very independent. So it allowed me to explore on my own. So I've taken road trips on my own. I've sat at the Grand Canyon and just with a notebook, simply writing and thinking and feeling. I've gone up the Pacific Coast Highway in California, doing the same thing, just listening to music and letting myself feel whatever it is that I was going to feel. So it's a real opportunity to figure out what you're missing and what you want to fill your life with. Um, And it can be experiences. It can be things. It can be people. It can be business ideas. It can be hobbies. But I believe you have to go through it. You can't go around it. And when we try to go around it, that's the distraction. That's the the Netflix. That's the shopping. That's the overeating. That's drinking. That's drugs. All of those things just go around the pain. You're not actually going through it. So yeah, it sucks. And I've had days where I've just stayed in bed all day and I've gone through it. I have. But I really believe that it's been the most beneficial thing for me to work through all those tangled parts in order to finally get to this place where I am now. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's important that we're talking about it because a lot of people don't know what to do with their loneliness. You know, like we've said, you can be surrounded by people and still be lonely. Yeah. You know, because this is work, this is mental work that you have to do for yourself to become a more complete person. At what point should we be seeking companionship or, you know, getting involved in projects once we've processed through the loneliness? How do we know that now we're ready to engage and and be involved with someone else and that that's not masking our loneliness? Well, a couple of ways. I think one is, does it feel intuitively right for you to say yes to certain things? So you know when you receive an invitation, if you're going because you genuinely want to go or if you're going and saying yes because you think you should or you want to keep a certain friend group or you feel like it's time for you to get out of the house, like all of those things don't feel to me like the best reasons. I've done those things before where I've gone to an event because I think it'll be good for me. And I've gotten there and thought, I don't know why I came. I don't know why I wasted the good clothes and the makeup and did my hair and (laughs) commuted and all of those things because I don't feel it at that moment. So I think intuitively your body starts to know when you should say yes to certain things. And conversely, I think when you start to see red flags and you see that red flag and put the hand up and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I see the red flag and now I'm going to make a different choice. Whereas in the past, I might have said, oh, look at that pretty red flag. I'm just going to put this in my pocket and keep going ahead. And I did that. And I can remember specific times where I almost heard, and for me, I'm very spiritual, where I feel like I almost heard God tell me, Monica, if you go ahead at this moment with this decision, you will come back to this place as the day when you knew you should have made a different decision. Like hearing the voice in my ear. And because I was in that place where I was still starved for whatever I needed at the time, I just kept going towards it. And I felt a world of pain afterwards. And I never forgot that day. I remember where I was sitting, what the weather was outside, the exact day. And it was as if God was whispering me, telling me, do not do this. And I did it anyway. Yes, the human condition. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you bring up a good point because I, I'm a Christian believer myself and I have a relationship with God. And I think that 
especially in spiritual communities and faith-based communities, to express that you're lonely somehow signifies that you don't have a connection with God. Like, I don't know if you've ever run into that, but I think my experience has been is you can still have a good connection with God and be fulfilled in that way, but God puts us on this planet with people for a reason. Right. Right. And so the loneliness doesn't really signify anything about you spiritually. Right. Necessarily. Right. But it does signify that there's something that you need to work through and something that you need to look at. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I'd say when I go back to loneliness being an opportunity, it's even God's way of sort of instilling this feeling in you because you know you need to do something different because you know you can't continue to go down this path. So I think it's really all about the the lens in which we frame situations. And if we acknowledge that we're lonely, even just to ourselves, I'm not saying you have to go on a TEDx stage and announce it to a bunch of people like <laughs> I did. But even if you just acknowledge it within yourself, That's such an opportunity to say, okay, I've addressed this. I've identified what this is. What can I do next? What are just some things that will just push the needle a little bit just to see how it feels? And it's like working a muscle in your body. It's no different than that. And really, I felt like I had to consistently put myself in places that were challenging for me and continue to be curious and explore and really work on the relationship with myself before I was able to get over the loneliness. And that took a lot of time. I said it took almost 20 years to do it. So it's by no means to say that it's an overnight process. I also had a lot of trauma in a very short amount of time, which is why I think it took a lot longer than uh, I would have liked. But I got there and I'm grateful to God that I got there. Monica, your podcast is called You Want to Do What? It's available on all the podcast platforms. Tell me about it. What's your mission with that? And and what are you hoping to accomplish through it? Yeah, so I really want to just nudge people, push, pull them to chase after the things that they want. And I think it really starts with the mindset. So as I mentioned, I bought this mic in 2013, didn't start the podcast until 2017. I needed a mindset shift. Ironically, the theme of the TEDx Talk event was mind shift. So it all sort of kind of goes in line. And and all those doors that I said weren't opening in corporate America started opening once I really stepped into what my purpose was and what I was supposed to be doing. And that's what I hope for people, to create those mind shifts, which is to either show people how to manage time, set goals, be productive, so that once you have those things in place, you can actually go after the big goals, the hobbies, the vacations, the writing the book, starting a business, the having a family, like all of those things can happen, but only when you're ready for it to happen. So hopefully with the, uh, the episodes that we do related to mind shift, it really primes you to feel like, okay, I'm prepared to make these next steps. And then in the episodes where I have guests, I try to be very practical. So a lot of times I can stand here on this corner and say, I know where I want to be, but I don't know how to get there yet. And hopefully with the episodes and the guests that we have on, it gives you the practical steps. That's the bridge from where you are to where you want to be. Awesome. Monica, knowing what you know now, if you had to go back and tell your 16-year-old younger self something about life, what would that be? Wow, that's such an amazing question. There's so many things. I think I probably, it's funny that I actually think this, but I think it would be around my career. I think I would have just trusted myself that I was resourceful enough to figure out how to still survive doing the career that I wanted to do at the time. So I always wanted to be more of a creative 
which is more of what I'm doing now. But that was always something that I wanted since I was a child. I'm first generation. So the immigrant parent mindset is just get the stable job. Don't worry about if you want to write, write on your free time. Here's a notebook. Here's a pen. Go write. But it's nothing really about pursuing creativity, which is always what I had wanted to do. I was always told, no, just get the stable job. You're too smart for any of that stuff, as if creatives aren't smart. But it was, again, that mentality that my parents had of just wanting me to be safe. I wish that I would have trusted myself to at least try to figure out how to still do what I wanted to do and pursue my passion at a younger age than only operating from that place of survival and not letting other people's voices interfere with what I knew my path was supposed to be. And so that would probably be the first piece of advice I give her. Monica, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your story and your triumphs and your successes. And I am super proud of you. You've done a lot in your time here on this earth, and I only see bright things for you in your future. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Monica and her podcast, you should follow her on Facebook and Instagram. She is at you wanna do what? W-A-N-N-A, you want to do what? Check her out there. She's got some great stuff on there. And um, we'll be hanging out on Facebook too, so you can find her there. (laughs) She's going to be in our private Facebook group if you want to ask her any questions on there. And um, we'll swing back around on the joseology.com website for the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Monica. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Joseology. Be sure to visit joseology.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. To join the conversation, find us on Facebook or Instagram with username at Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.